Praise God. If you have a Bible, if you would turn with me this morning, I will say again one more time, it's great to have everyone with us this morning. If you are a guest, again, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. I know it's summertime and people are traveling and it's vacation, but I'm so thankful that even though we take vacation, God does not take vacation. So we're thankful that he is here. Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to read the first four verses of this particular chapter. Verse number one says, The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about reading the signs. Reading the signs. God bless you. You can be seated. I hesitate in my humanity to speak to you today on the subject that I feel led of the Lord to speak to you about today. Because in no way do I want to appear to be sensationalizing current events, to be piggybacking on the, uh, the upheaval of our current political situation with the election that is taking place. And I am not here today to do that. I'm not here today in any way to sensationalize the news. But Jesus says to the Pharisees uh, that missing the sign or not being able to read the signs of the times is a dangerous thing. It is not... A Christian's place, I believe, a Christian's place to be caught up in all the political favor and political uh, fever that is gripping the country. Ultimately, as a Christian, I don't believe who's elected. Ultimately, God's in charge. I know there's some here today that have strong political opinions and on different sides of the aisle. We don't all agree. However, that's the great thing about God. We don't have to agree. You can have your viewpoint, I can have my viewpoint, but we still can have a common ground because we're bought by the same name, filled with the same spirit. However, Jesus warns us that we cannot simply bury our head in the sand. And I believe that one of the dangers of the American dream is that the American dream produces an apathy in Christians that we get caught up in trying to pursue the American dream, that we forget that this world is not our home. God did not call us to live out our days here and make this world our home. In fact, Job said in the Old Testament, if I come into the world naked and I leave naked, I've left good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we have become a society that accumulates things and we have become a society that our success is based off of what we have and how much we have. It's staggering to me 
to see as you drive down the road how many self-storage places there are all over. Why? Because we have so much stuff, we can't keep all our stuff in our house. We have to rent more spaces to put more stuff. Because that has become the desire and the focus of our world. And if you're not careful, we can become like those in the Bible that we get so caught up on this world that we miss the fact that the Bible says that Jesus is coming one day. And if we die before he comes, we will die and we'll be judged on how we live. When you stand before the Lord in judgment, I don't believe he's going to ask for your bank account number. I don't believe he's going to ask for your address, what car you drove, what clothes you wore, what will your house look like. It wouldn't, it doesn't matter to him that the bottom line is going to be we're going to be judged based off the condition of our soul. But it would be foolish for us as believers to simply bury our head in the sand and not pay attention to the things that are going on around us. Because if we stop for a moment and look at the things going on around us, it's a warning sign to us that we cannot simply sit back and be comfortable. I believe, and I don't mean this to, 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 to again, to sensationalize everything, but I believe the comforts of this country that we have enjoyed for so long, I believe that those are leaving and most of them will never return. One of the reasons I believe that is because it's hard to have a revival when everybody is comfortable. If you go throughout history and you read some of the greatest revivals in history, all the way back to the first revival that swept the world in the book of Acts, all of it, was mirrored by chaos in the world, political upheaval, things going on. If you think we've got it rough, go back and read historically what the first church, Peter and Paul, what they were facing in their world. Do you think the agenda of our world is bold? Go read the agenda of their world, how bold it was. If you think that our world is in chaos with terrorism and all that. Go read their world and what it was like to live under Roman rule. And the Romans would come into a city and they wouldn't, they wouldn't kill you anymore. They, they, they wouldn't fight. They would negotiate a peace. And in order for them not to wipe you off the face of the earth, you'd have to pay them your taxes and give them your sons. And if you'd give them your sons to serve in their army and you'd pay them their money, they'd lift you alone. So today, there'd be a bus that would pull out. Soldiers would walk in, walk into our Sunday school class and would take all the young boys of a certain age back to serve in the army and there'd be nothing we could do about it. You're talking about living in a tough world. That's living in a tough world. But the Bible says when things get tougher, God gets greater. 
and the darker things get, the brighter the light of the gospel shines. So if we begin to look at some things that the Bible says are signs for us to look for as believers, I think today that maybe you would leave here with a little bit of a perspective and change of perspective that this world is not our home and this world is not meant to last and not because of global warming. But this world is not meant to last because God has ordained all of this to have an end. And one of the greatest things the Bible says for us to look for is to look at the prophecies in Scripture concerning the nation of Israel. And look at things in the nation of Israel and prophecies about the nation of Israel and the fulfillment of those prophecies to Israel. And the Bible says that the generation that begins to see these prophecies fulfilled will be, not maybe, but will be the generation that sees the end. There are seven prophecies concerning Israel. I'll read them to you just in their context, not to get into the scripture part of it. It's there, but to save time. But the number one prophecy is the gathering of Jews into their homeland. The second is the rebirth of Israel in a single day. The third is the establishing of a nation. The fourth is Israel's possession of Jerusalem. The fifth is the nations of earth aligned against Israel. Number six, the war of Armageddon. And number seven, the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. These are the seven prophecies in the Bible concerning Israel. And the Bible says the generation that begins to see these things come to pass will be the generation that begins to see or will see the end. Anybody want to take a stab? And some of you know this, so I'll let you answer. When did these prophecies start to come to pass? What year? 1948. Prophecies given thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. After World War II. These prophecies came to pass beginning in 1948. It is 2016. How old would someone be born in 1948? There you go. He knows that because he was born in 46, so he can subtract two. He's cheating. 68. Not this, I'm not trying to sensationalize, and I'm not, I don't believe in, 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 in predicting the coming of the Lord. The Bible says he comes as a thief in the night. No one knows when he comes. I don't believe in this deal. Anytime you see a prediction when the Lord's coming, you know one thing, it's wrong. I, it's not a guess, it's wrong. Uh, it was, what was it? Uh, oh, it, was, it just, it was it May? What was that a couple years ago? What was that again? May, 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 it was in 2012, they had a prediction, and man, people literally were absolutely just flocking uh, to the man that made the prediction, it was in California, and they just went out there and, 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 and selling their possessions, the Lord was coming, and when he didn't come in May, 
the, the guy quickly changed his prediction and said, well, I missed it. He's actually coming in October. When he didn't come in October, I don't know what he said after that. It's not about predicting, okay? I'm not here today to predict to you when I believe the Lord's coming back because I don't know. However, I do know if someone here today is 68 years old, we know they don't have 68 more years to live. We know that there is an end that's coming to someone who was born in 1948. And according to Scripture, the Bible says that those who begin to see this, this will be the generation. This will be the generation that will see the end. And we want God to fix all our problems so that we can live in this perfect bubble of an existence. For what purpose? For what purpose? The older you get, the more things get into perspective. If you are here today and you have no pain in your body and you get a paper cut, that paper cut feels like the end of the world. It's a paper cut. But if that's the only pain you have in your body, that paper cut hurts. But if you've got a paper cut and your leg just got blown off, you don't even know you have a paper cut. Because perspective. When your world is about your world, every little detail of your world is a big deal. But when you realize this world is not my home, that God never intended this to be my home, and God has no intention of making this my comfortable home. Do I believe God wants to bless you? Yes. Do I believe God is faithful? Yes. Do I believe God supplies your needs? Yes. Do I believe God wants to make you a millionaire? No. Because I don't believe this world and this system of this world is what it's all about. Because as a believer, we are promised eternal life. And the Bible calls that eternal life our hope. If your hope today is in how much money you have in retirement, we found out in 2008, one day can determine your hope changing. It was a bunch of you in 2008, your retirement just got a little farther away. So our hope is not in this life, but our hope is in that life to come. Why? Because you know what? If our hope is in this life, then God is not fair. If this life is what it's all about, then I'm mad. Can I just be honest with you today? then if this life is what it's all about, then God and I are going to have a talk. And some of you are going to leave out of here today mad because some of you have lost loved ones and others of us haven't lost anybody. So if it's about this life, then God's not fair. Some of you today have plenty of money to do what you want to do. Go on vacation. You can drive the car you want. You can live in the house. There's other you. You're sweating to make this month's mortgage. If that's what it's about, then God's not fair. 
We all should live an equal life in this wonderful, awesome life. But you know what? It's not about this life. Because I've seen people that were poor, that were the happiest people going because they realized this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I've watched, I I tell you what, not at this point in time after all these years do I need confirmation in the reality of God or I need confirmation in the Christian walk and the power of walking with God. But you've never witnessed something so amazing than to watch a mother or a father stand beside a casket of a child. And I put child in parentheses because not just a young child, but any parent that loses a child, it's a child. And watch that parent stand beside that casket and lift up hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I give you praise and give you glory. That right there is absolutely the most amazing thing to see. Because from the life perspective, the heartbreak of that, from our perspective, if this world is all you're about, how do you go past that? Some of you today struggle with loss, dealing with loss. And I'm not saying, oh, just, just, just shake it off and go forward. I'm not saying that. But you deal with loss. You know the best way to deal with loss is to realize there's a greater hope. To realize there's a greater hope. That there's something beyond this because you know what there's some of you today that have lost dreams you may have lost you may have lost a, may have never lost a child may have lost a loved one but you've lost dreams you've had things in your life that haven't turned out the way and have led to disappointment and you've got all this stuff and your life hasn't quite turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out and when you said as a child and you dreamed about what life was going to be like and you mapped out this life and now you look at your life now and you compare it to what you thought life was going to be like and they don't match up and all of a sudden there's this deep feeling in the pit of your stomach of regret and sorrow and sadness Why did my life turn out the way it turned out? How did I get here? You ever asked that question? You ever got in a situation of your life and you ask yourself, how did I get here? How did I become this person? And you know what? If this world was what it was all about, if this life, what it was all about, then how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the, the, with the regret? How do you deal with the disappointment? How do you deal with the fact that life isn't simply, it's just, it's just not going the way you thought it was going to go. You married a prince and he turned out to be a jerk. You married a princess and you, she turned out to be not what you thought. And now you don't know and your life is based off this and all of a sudden now your life is in chaos. You work a job you don't like it 
you dreamed of a career, you dreamed of this, but now you're stuck in a job and you can't get out and you're just trying to survive from paycheck to paycheck and your whole existence in life is just trying to scrape by enough that you can have a moment of pleasure every once in a while to go back to the grindstorm and ju- grind, grind, uh, the grindstone and just live your life out checking off boxes on a calendar. That's not life. That's not life. To live that way where you're simply checking off boxes to your next vacation or checking off boxes to the next weekend. That's not life because the Bible says that God desires to give us life and life more abundantly. Not life and life perfect. Not life and problem free. But life and life more abundantly. It doesn't mean the fact that suddenly when you come to God, you get the better job and you don't have to work and now you got all this money. It has nothing to do with that. But when you come to Him, the purpose and the focus and the understanding of your life changes. And when you look at the signs of the time and you look at the prophecies that are being taken place and you begin to look at it and you realize, wait a minute, we don't have forever. And you look at what the Bible says, seven prophecies concerning Israel. And here are the ones that have already come to pass. And these are the generation. And then you go a little farther and you say, now, you know, when, when, when the scripture was written, that, it want, that one day there was going to be a 200 million man army that would arise to come against Israel. That was written in the time where the earth population was probably less than 200 million. Now, it's not that difficult to conceive of a 200 million man army. And then the book of Revelation is filled with the theme of a one world government. Of a one world system. Even a hundred years ago, that was a far fetched idea. But we live in a world filled with technology that with a device, with a device, I can get in contact right now with anyone on the face of the earth with this device standing in this building. It was only. 70 years ago that if you had a phone in your house that was pretty good and then if you lived out in the country not only did you it was awesome to have a phone but you had what was called the party line and the party line means they didn't have a phone line to your house it was a phone line that stopped by the neighbor's houses And that meant it was a party line. If you picked up the phone, guess what the nosy neighbors did? They picked up the phone because when the call came through, all the phones rang. So if you wanted to talk business, guess what? Everybody else talked with you. That wasn't... I look at my grandmother. She's 86 years old. And it's staggering to see the changes of technology in her lifetime. She grew up in a house with dirt floors. She grew up that to go in the street, you'd had to be careful because the cars were coming by so fast and the top speed of the car was about 20 miles an hour. 
Careful going to the street. Those cars are fast. And that, she's still living today, and you have relatives that have the same experiences to see the vast differences. And you know now the technology is absolutely even. I mean, if, if you've got a, if you've got, an Apple device. I'm just going to pick one Apple because if you've got, I got an iPhone. The, the, I don't have the newest one. I've got second next to the newest one. I've got the six. I don't have the 6S. But I got the six plus. Stepped it up. I've got the plus. Tisha's our resident Apple person over here. If you need some Apple products, go see her. She works there. She can't give you a discount, but she'll give you a hook. But it's my, this came out just a couple years ago. I've had, I, I, I love this thing. However, it was only a few years ago that I got my first iPhone. Just a few years ago. Man, when I got that thing, I moved from the, the Nokia to the StarTech. Anybody have a StarTech? The flip phone StarTech. I still love that thing. You could drop it from the highest building. It would keep going. Then I moved up to, to, to a one smartphone because it had a camera, like a 0.5 megapixel camera. <laughs> then I moved up to another smartphone that had a keyboard to it. Man, it had a keyboard on my phone. My phone had a keyboard. And I no longer had to text by hitting five four times to get to an H. Man, that was awesome. You wanted to text, you know, how are you doing? You're like, two, two, one, three, 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 six, six, one, two. And if you miss the letter, you got to go all the way back around again. And then you got a keyboard. I mean, a keyboard on a phone. And now, man, I was like, Brr. and then I got one. I forgot what the name of it was, but then I got this smartphone and it had a stylist. I mean, this was a phone. And I'm like, I didn't even call people. I just held it up to my ear so people would know I had a phone with a stylus. But then we stepped up and we got an iPhone. I mean, this thing was like, I mean, just, it, when you held it in your hand, it just, it just felt good. But now I got the 6 Plus, and it was only several years ago. My first iPhone, my son found the other day and we had a cable somewhere, and they charged it up, and they were playing with it. I just was goofing around, picked that thing up, and I went, man, this thing is cheap. The screen's blurry. It's like this big. I'm like, how in the world did I ever do anything on a phone like this? It was only a couple years ago, and now I'm like, I'm looking at this thing, and now they're talking about all the other stuff that's coming out and the possibly coming out, and the rapid advancement of technology that is just absolutely speeding, speeding. We live in a world, folks, that is changing, and the technology is giving way to the idea that our world can be connected. I'm not here today, again, to sensationalize. But come on, let's be honest. A hundred years ago, when you said the Bible says that there will be an Antichrist, and that Antichrist will make you take a mark on your hand, a mark on your forehead, and that will be how you sell, they thought like a literal mark. A hundred years ago, that was like far out. But guess what? Just got introduced 
last year in all credit cards. All credit cards now have what? A chip. Because a chip is the most secure thing going. But guess what the problem with the credit card is? If you're like me, you can still lose it. I'm doing better now. I lost five wallets in a span of two years. But I am on a hot streak right now. It's been months. I mean, I am on fire. I have not lost a wallet. It's, it makes wonders for your, for, your, uh, for your license picture, though. For all those you want to keep your license picture current, keep losing your wallet. Although they now at the NBA have your picture on file, so you don't even get a new picture. But now it's a chip, but you can still lose a credit card. So now, Ray, it's easy to see the, the jump to, well, you know what? Instead of having a credit card you can lose, we'll just put this on your person. And you know what? For us nowadays, it, does, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's, that's an easy jump. I'm not saying go get rid of your credit cards with the chip because that's the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying is it's obvious that we're getting closer and closer. When you get on, uh, it was American Airlines, uh, is American Airlines, yeah, they bought out USA, right? American Airlines, when you got on there, the stewardess would say, American Airlines, a member of the One World Alliance. 
So instead of us looking at this opportunity of, oh, no, we're a part of something like this, it's, oh, yes, look at what we get to experience. I said it several weeks ago. I'll say it again. If you've never been in church, you've probably still at least heard the name John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one that proclaimed Christ was coming. In fact, he was the one that got to baptize Jesus. What a, I mean, that's a pretty high honor. But the Bible says that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. You know what that shows is that you and I today have an opportunity to do something that's never been done in history. And that King David, I mean David, made famous with David and Goliath, that David, given the opportunity that David would switch with you today. If you ask David, according to the Bible, if you ask David, keep your kingdom, keep your houses, your palaces, your temples and all that, and stay in that time, or switch with anyone here in this room, David would have switched to be a part of what we are sitting in this room a part of today. So the opportunity that we have here is that this is bigger than me. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than Antioch West. This is bigger than Anaranda County. This is bigger. We are a part of something that is going to be and is starting to be and will be world changing. But we're not talking about something you know, down the road, down the road, down the road. According to the Bible, this is beginning to happen. And there's not much time on this. Several years ago, our world was gripped by the story of the 33 Chilean miners trapped deep in a mine in Chile. News was giving constant updates of their progress, trying to locate them. They even brought crews in from America down to Chile, even brought their big equipment to Chile to be a part of the rescue of the 33 that were trapped. And one man made this statement. He said, this will be the greatest attempt of rescue in human history to be able to go to the depths of the mountain that they had to go to not only go to the depths but to go into the exact chamber in which these men were trapped in this man made a statement that this will be the greatest rescue in human history well apologies to that man but it was not the greatest rescue in human history. Because the greatest rescue in human history actually happened 2,000 years ago 
It was called a cross. And the greatest rescuer in human history was named Jesus. Because you know what? We can sit back and we can be all nervous and we can watch Fox and CNN and MSNBC and read USA Today and we get nervous every time we hear of a, something happened over there and a rumbling over there and, and I, it was a sobering thing to me and forgive me, I've, I said a couple weeks ago, it was so sobering to me to sit there and with my wife and watch the news unfold a couple, a couple, couple months or a month ago or so in Turkey, not with the, not with the overthrowing of the government, with the bomb that happened in the airport that blew up all those people. It was so sobering to me because I sat there on television and I showed my wife. I stood right there. I walked right there. That's where I stood to wait for a cab. That's where I got my luggage. I knew all that place. I'd been in the airport four times over the last two years. I'd been, I knew exactly where that stuff was and sit there and to watch that. It was a very sobering thing. And you know what? If I, if I, if you allow yourself to nowadays, if you turn on the news, you can get yourself so worked up and nervous and overwhelmed. And that's only the stuff they're telling you. We've got, I mean, come on folks. It's no longer stuff that's happening overseas. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Now, if a shooting happens and it's less than five people, it doesn't even make the front page. If five or less people get killed, it's a footnote in the news. It's going to be 85 degrees today, slight chance of rain. And oh, by the way, five people were shot yesterday. That's how crazy our world's gotten. If it's not 10, 15, 20 people getting killed and murdered at the same time, it doesn't even phase our world. That's America. That's not some foreign country anymore. That's America. That's the country we live in. Now you got riots on the streets. Police officers being shot, madness taking over. That's our country, folks. And if we allow ourselves, we can become so frightened. And if there is coming a day, there is coming a day, it's going to happen when a sports stadium is attacked, when a shopping mall is attacked. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Come on, I've been to some sporting games. That little guy there sitting there with that little plastic badge staring at you, he ain't stopping at stopping someone from coming in there if that wants to get in there. If you're a mall cop, God bless you. But let's be honest, those little fellas that run around Annapolis Mall, they're not stopping somebody that wants to do damage. There's coming a day. So what does that mean? Do I sit in fear and worry? No, because you can't threaten me with heaven. You can't threaten a believer with heaven. Do I want to die? No, I've got a beautiful wife, three wonderful kids. I want to see them. I want to be a part of that. I've got a great family. I love all of you. I don't want to die, but you can't threaten me. But you can't sit around worrying about it. Why? Because the Bible says there's a greater hope. There's a greater hope, Julie, if you come. There's a greater hope. And my question to you tonight, where does your hope lie? I'm not saying this is right or wrong. 
judging anyone in this room by any means by this statement. But are you going to the ballot box in November believing that there's going to be change to save this country? Come on, folks, we've been down this road before. All of them promised a utopia. The fact of the matter is, we can't deliver. So if, our, if, your, if your faith and your hope is in that vote you cast, you've already lost. If your faith and your hope is in that retirement nest egg that you're saving up, we've already shown that one mistake can wipe that out. song that says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ his righteousness on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand the Bible says everything that can be shaken shall be shaken do you know what falls in an earthquake things that are not built to last in an earthquake that which falls are things that are not built to last in the earthquake earthquake that is coming and even the earthquakes that we've experienced the things that crumble I'm not talking about literal earthquakes, but I'm talking about earthquakes of economy, earthquakes of tragedy, earthquakes of famine, earthquakes of of natural disaster. Things that last are the things that are built upon a rock. And there is but one rock. And that rock is Jesus. If you're here today and you're a guest with us, again, we're so glad you're here. But if you're here today and you come here every week, there are some of you that come here every week, but your whole existence is wrapped around this life and you're miserable and you ride a roller coaster. But you understand that there is a greater opportunity. There is a greater chance for you and I and you say well preacher that all sounds good but you know I got things going on in my life and I need to get this straight and I need to get it that straight guess what we don't have much time if Jesus 2,000 years ago spoke and if you don't believe me go read it Matthew, Mark, Luke and John go read it if you don't believe me go look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the words of Jesus If you've got a red letter Bible, they're going to be in red. Look at how many times Jesus said, warned about the end, the coming, the coming of the end, the coming of the end. That was 2,000 years ago. Just by simple subtraction, 2,000 taking away whatever number, we're closer now than we've ever been. And he said, be careful that you be a generation that can read the signs. Red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor delight. Be careful that you live in a generation that knows how to read the weather, but cannot read the things that are going on around them. And we get up every morning, we turn on the TV, or we turn on the radio, we pick up the newspaper, we flip over our phone to see 
the weather for that day because we have people that can forecast the weather because they know how to read the signs. Well, I'm here today as a spiritual weatherman. I can't tell you the when, I can't tell you the where, but I can tell you according to Scripture, there are storm clouds that are gathering. There are storm clouds that are brewing. There's a storm coming. When's it going to get here, preacher? I don't know when it's going to get here. It's not for me to predict when, but I know there is coming a storm. But the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into and are safe. If you live in the Midwest and they hear a sound and the siren goes off, there's a tornado... Go to the storm shelter. You may lose your house. You may lose your car. You may lose your precious possessions. But you'll save your life. Why? Because you're in the shelter. Don't come out of the shelter. You may be worried. The fact of the matter is you hear the rumbling of the ground. The shaking of the ground. You may be worried because you know my house may not be there when I get back. My car may not be there when I get back. But you know if I stay in the shelter. If I get in the shelter. If I stay hunkered down in the shelter. I may not have anything when I get out. But I'll still be alive. But the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into and are safe if you don't know what else to do today if you just say Jesus 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 the Bible says at the mention of that name fear goes doubt goes worry goes because it's a strong tower if you're here today and you're worried and you're overwhelmed you're fearful I've got good news for you there's a shelter I can't promise you that the world around you is not going to fall into chaos I can't promise you that around you that there may be swirling winds of change that will rip things out of your life but I promise you if you can get in that shelter there's a hope in that shelter there's sometimes you don't even know what to pray. And just simply, you just say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Wait a minute. I don't even know, preacher. Do I have to ask anything? No, no, no. You don't even have to ask anything. Just Jesus, Jesus. Do I, do I, need, to, do I need to say anything? Any, no, 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 no. Just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, what happens when I begin to say that name? I got that strong tower. And I can run in that strong tower. And my world may be in chaos. My, I may have just lost my job. My husband may have just left me. My wife may have just left me. My kids may be going crazy. But if I can get in that shelter, Jesus. Jesus. Does that make your life all better, preacher? No, my life's still the same, but I'm better. Does that make all your problems go away? No. Does it add zeros to your bank account? No. But it makes me better. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right where you're sitting right now, if you just would, we're done. If you would just close your eyes for a moment. Just take a moment. You've got a moment. We're done. And I know I'm going to let you go. And you've got things you have to do today. But if you would just take this moment right now. 
close your eyes. Why do we close our eyes? Not to be spooky or mystical, but we close our eyes so that we can focus on the one who's able to do something. If we look around at our neighbor, our friend next to us, they can't do anything for us. There's only one that can do it. And here's what I want you to do is close your eyes. Just begin to say that name. Jesus. Jesus. Come on, just say that name. Come on, friend. If you're a guest with us today, maybe you've never prayed out loud before. That's okay. But just say Jesus. Jesus. Come on, that's it. Come on. When you begin to say that name, the Bible says that he's as close as the mention of his name. Come on, maybe you're here today and you've got fear, and you've got worry, you've got doubt, you've got things in your life that you're uncertain about. The Bible says that name is greater than anything. Oh, come on, church. Let's take a moment and pray. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, folks. Be, if you're not praying for yourself, why don't you take a moment and be sensitive to someone around you. Come on, there's some here today that God wants to touch, that God wants to show the reality of His presence to. Maybe you're in here today and your, your life has simply been about your life and your things and your life is built upon this life but you know there's a greater hope in all of this there's just something about about that name oh father right now every life in here you know every every heart you know every heart God you know our strengths you know our weaknesses you know our ups you know our downs you, you know our wants, you know our needs. And I pray right now in Jesus' name, make yourself known today. Make the reality of your presence known today. That you are a strong tower that we can run into and be safe. Oh, in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody needs to respond to God right now. What you're feeling, that's the power of God. What you're feeling, that's the tug of the Holy Ghost. That's the tug of his love. Maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you don't know how to respond. But maybe simply by closing your eyes and lifting your hands and just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all you need to say. If you just say that name, he's able to hear every prayer. He's able to hear every call, every cry. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus